Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 48 hours. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. He's angry. When he gets angry, the evil side comes out. On September 27th, 1992. I was 19 years old and I was working at a home for crippled children. I was working the night shift there from 10 p.m. until 6 in the morning. I went to the bus stop to catch the bus to go to work. I had run in the store to buy something and I saw that the bus had left without me. So I came running out in a panic. I knew that was the last bus for the night. I had no way to get to work. Somebody pulled up in a car and just said, hey, do you need a ride? He was very innocent looking and he looked totally harmless. That's what makes him evil is that you don't see it right away and I didn't feel any sense of fear. When I got in the car, he was so nice and so charming. He is smarter than your average serial killer. He learned as he killed. He was waiting for her when she got off of work the next morning. Well, the next morning when I saw him, I wasn't scared. My thought was, this guy is not dangerous. If he wanted to do something to me, he had his chance last night. And he said, let me give you a ride home. I opened the door and I got in the car. When I was just in the middle of talking, he just grabs me by the hair and he just shoved my head into the dash. 
an explosive temper. He had a gun to my head, and the whole time I was saying, is this a joke? Is this, this is a joke. A hater of women. And all he would say was, shut up, bitch. Shut up, bitch. And as violent and as evil as you will ever see. And he had a knife, and he pulled out twine, wrapped the twine around my hands, and I just saw telephone poles. Each telephone pole that went by, I just got more scared and more scared. Because we were going further and further and deeper into that desert. And I just felt doomed. I didn't know what was going to happen. The one who got away. hours listeners know to always expect the unexpected, including when home appliances break down. An American Home Shield warranty can restore your sense of security. It's simple. When a covered item in your home breaks, contact American Home Shield and their trusted and qualified pros will fix or replace it. Right now, you could take 20% off. Go to ahs.com slash 48 to save 20%. That's ahs.com slash 48 for 20% off any plan. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty, which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer. American Home Shield, don't worry, be warranty. If you're a fan of 48 Hours or true crime, looking to try on a case of your own, June's Journey is for you. A thrilling hidden object mystery game set against the backdrop of the 1920s. You play as June Parker, an amateur detective trying to unravel your sister's mysterious murder. As you dive into a world filled with twists and turns, trust no one. Every character could be hiding secrets. While you piece together the intricately woven plot, you'll collect crucial information in your photo album, turning suspicions into facts. And if you want help on the case, you can even join a detective club to collaborate or compete with fellow sleuths on hundreds of puzzles. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. I was just in a state of shock. And so I tried to think, how can I get out of the situation? And I had no answer. The pleasant stranger who'd picked Jennifer as Benson up had suddenly snapped. Now, an apparent madman held her hostage in the California desert. I knew he was gonna hurt me. Rape, definitely. Definitely, I knew that. 
And then he uh, finally parked and shut off the car. He used the knife to cut my shorts off of me. Then he cut my underwear off. He climbed into my seat and he just started punching me in the head. The man beat her, then forced her to perform oral sex. He tried to rape her, but couldn't. And then he just told me to tell him that I loved him. Of course I was gonna, if that would save my life. So I said, I love you. And he smacked me across the face and said, you're lying, bitch. Say it like you mean it. And I said, I love you. And he said, you're, you're lying. Say it like you mean it. And he grabbed my underwear and he shoved them in my throat. His whole fist went in my mouth and he was yelling at me, tell me you love me, tell me you love me. And I just started crying. You felt like if you could say it right, that he might stop? Yeah. He wasn't gonna stop. <laughs> no. So now he's mad. He grabs me by the throat and he starts strangling me. And then suddenly I couldn't see anything and I felt like I heard music and it was just white. I thought I was dead. Moments later, she was jolted back to reality. He was trying to revive me. He was bashing me around, pushing my chest, and I just came back into it like you do when you think you fall asleep and then wake up. And I just thought, oh, Gosh, I'm back in this nightmare again. And I wanted to die because there was no other way of getting out of there. But then suddenly there was. He opens my door and he tells me to get out. And I just thought, run. The next thing I knew, I was flung onto the ground by my hair. And he pulled me by my hair all the way back to the car. With that, she lost all hope, even begged her attacker to put her out of her misery. I just wanted it to end. I said, kill me, and he went with the gun, and he pulled the thing back, and I went, I was getting ready, and nothing happened. And then I just started screaming at him, kill me, moron, just kill me but he toyed with her like a cat with a mouse, dragged her to the back of the car and opened the trunk. He threw me in there and shut it. And he started um, driving down the road. And then I was thinking, he's done this before. He knows exactly what he's doing. What Jennifer didn't know at the time was that, in fact, 
her attacker had done this before. Six years earlier, on the evening of January 18, 1986, a popular, outgoing 23-year-old named Robin Brandley was working as an usher at a jazz concert at Saddleback College in Mission Viejo, California. She loved to make people laugh. She was intelligent, inquisitive. She had a lot of friends. She just was always like willing to just lend a hand for anybody. Robin's brother Jason and her parents Jack and Janelle Riley agree Robin was a go-getter with big dreams. She ultimately, I think, wanted to work in the entertainment industry. She was bound and determined. You know, she was she was going to make a mark. After the concert that January night, Robin walked toward her car, but she never got there. In the dark parking lot, someone was waiting with a knife. She was found by a security guard at the college, and he noticed something that he believed to be a mannequin laying by a car. And of course, at closer inspection is when he found Robin. She had been stabbed 41 times, it was later determined. 41 stab wounds to the back, neck, chest, and hands. It was so unexplained, and it was so random, and it was so brutal. Helen Moreno was a supervising investigator with the Orange County DA's office. And there was no evidence at all that there was any robbery. She had her purse was there, her keys were laying right there by the scene. Early the next morning, a police officer knocked on the Riley's door. He said, she's gone. He said, she's been murdered. And it was just a total shock. And I said, well, who did it? I said, we have no idea. Was the assumption just, well, you know, they'll catch who did this? Yeah, absolutely. What was there at that crime scene that was of any help? In terms of identifying a perpetrator, there was really nothing. Orange County Deputy District Attorney Howard Gundy. So he basically came in from the darkness of the night, attacked quickly, suddenly, violently. There was no way that she could resist, and then went back into the darkness of the night. And unfortunately for investigators, there were no witnesses. Months passed, then years. Robin's parents tried desperately to keep her story alive. We figured we'd have to solve the case ourselves. They hired a private investigator, even believed the murderer might be a fellow student. That was actively pursued? Yes. And nothing, nothing. was found at all? Nothing. Over the years, Robin Brandley's sadistic killer would go on to kill again and again. But of course, no one knew that as Jennifer S. Benson lay terrified in the stifling trunk of that same killer's car. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, 
where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. When I was in the trunk, it was pitch black. You're still bound. There's nothing bound. you can do. Nothing I could do. The stranger had forced her into the trunk of his car, but Jennifer S. Benson had no idea he was taking her to his favorite killing ground. He's gonna either torture me, or put me in a dungeon somewhere, or whatever most horrible thing I could think of. Her fear was justified. In fact, after murdering Robin Brandley, her attacker went on a killing spree. Before he was finished, four other California women would die. These women all were prostitutes, dumped in the windswept desert just outside the city. Julie McGee was the first in the summer of 1988. She had been picked up in Palm Springs, taken out to this area of town that's, that's pretty much abandoned, and shot and killed. Palm Springs Lieutenant John Booth. He left virtually no evidence behind. The next year, Tammy Irwin. A few years after that, Denise Maney, tied up with twine and tortured. In the meantime, in nearby San Diego, a fourth prostitute, Mary Ann Wells, was shot dead. Four victims, similar crimes, but no one who investigated any of these crimes spotted a pattern. No one connected them, not to one another, and certainly not to a serial killer. After exhausting all the leads, uh, we, we still were nowhere. You almost can't help but wonder whether or not those women had any inkling of what was about to happen to them. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you could rewind and Monday morning quarterback, you'd say to yourself, don't get in that car. But Jennifer S. Benson had gotten in that car, and as its driver was barreling down the highway, she lay in the trunk, terrified. I just laid there and just thought about how he was going to die. Desperate, she did the one thing that could bring some comfort. And that was pray. And I just started crying, saying, God, if there is a God, and you know that I'm in this trunk right now, and you know that I'm about to be cut up into many pieces, please take my life or let me get away. Help me. Yeah. She thinks that what happened next was pure and simple divine intervention. And I just suddenly got hysterical strength. And I just started hearing all the twine busting behind my back. And I just busted it off. That's amazing. It was a miracle. 
But then I have this twine off. Now what? In the total darkness, with her life on the line, Jennifer discovered a confidence and ingenuity that surprised even her. When I was in that trunk, all I had to do was reach from one corner to the other corner and say, this is the width of the trunk. And then I went like this. I thought, that's where the lock is. So the mechanism to unlock the trunk is on the inside. It's with me. Working only by feel, she ripped away carpet, yanked on wires, poked her fingers around the metal frame. And then I felt this thing. It just felt like a little lever. And it clicked. And I saw light just coming in everywhere. And I just went, oh my god. I can get out. And then I got so excited that I lifted it even more. Suddenly, her assailant was shouting, swearing. He just realized the trunk was open. He pulled over and came around. I grabbed the trunk and I pulled it down and he did this on it to make sure it was shut. So then he got back in the car and he pushed the gas on all the way to the floor and he got stuck. It was her only chance. I just flipped it up and jumped out Barefoot and naked from the waist down, she ran for her life down the road. I was running like I was in the Olympics. I looked back and he was chasing me with a machete. And I just started running faster. And then I saw a truck coming. Gasping for breath, Jennifer ran straight toward the oncoming truck. And then I just heard their wheels screech. The two startled men in the truck, both Marines, opened the door. I just started screaming. That guy, he, he tried to kill me. I, I said, the car, the car right there, and the car was gone. Her attacker already had sped off. She had survived, but over the coming weeks, that brought her little relief. Jennifer's life soon began to unravel. It was the beginning of downhill journey for me. I just started getting so out of my mind and so scared by everything. And he knows my name. He knew where I lived. He knew a lot about me. But police knew nothing about him. They had no suspects, no witnesses, no leads. Interest in Jennifer's case began to fade, as did the scars on her wrists. That was my only opportunity to try to tell somebody what happened to me. So I actually took a razor blade to them and I opened them all back wow. up. And then I just remember waking up in a mental hospital strapped to a bed. And that's where I would live for the next three and a half to four years in mental hospitals. It was the only place where she felt safe. Her attacker had disappeared in the desert dust. But Jennifer knew that somewhere he was still out there. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, 
Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. My life just spiraled downhill because he was on the loose. Jennifer S. Benson had managed an astonishing escape from a sadistic serial killer, but she hardly felt lucky. It was like I had saved my life, and then I felt like, for what? I saw no beauty in anything. Everything just seemed evil. Confirmation of that evil would come from halfway across the country, when her attacker went back to work. It was the afternoon watch in early August. I was paged. They said that there was a body floating in Wolf Lake. On a hot day in 1996, Chicago homicide detective Don McGrath responded to what's called a body dump at a desolate lake outside the city. There was, in fact, a nude female body floating face down about 20 feet off the shore. It was obvious she died a violent death. Shot three times, she also had 29 stab wounds. I'd never seen anything quite like that before, and I was quite disturbed. This showed a lot of emotion, a lot of rage, and a lot of anger towards the victim. Police soon identified the woman as Lynn Huber a local prostitute. As to who killed her, one piece of that puzzle fell into place quickly. When I got back to the office, the buzz was already, oh, this is a second body in Wolf Lake. Four months earlier, it turned out, the naked body of another prostitute, Laura Ulaki, had been found floating in the same lake. Firemen pulled her out, and she too had been shot. She was shot in the head and in the chest. And one month before, the body of a third prostitute, Cassandra Corum, was found dumped in the Vermilion River, just an hour from Wolf Lake. So different body of water, but basically same MO. Right, same MO, a nude victim in a body of water. The case fell to Cook County Assistant State's Attorney, Jim McKay. He says investigators could find no real link among the three murders until they checked ballistics. The bullets found in those women's bodies were fired from the same gun, the same 38 caliber revolver. 
But unfortunately for police, there's a ton of them out there. So without the actual gun, they were cold cases. Then, in April of 1997, Indiana police contacted McGrath with a tip. A prostitute had called them from a seedy motel, they said. She and her customer, a man named Andrew Yurdy Alice, were having a fight, partly over his unusual requests. When they learned what Andrew Yurdy Alice wanted to do to her and where he wanted to do it, they focused on Yurdy Alice. He wanted to duct tape and handcuff her, the prostitute said, and take her in the back of his pickup truck out to Wolf Lake. She knew what had happened at Wolf Lake? Yes, she did, and she wasn't having any part of that. 32-year-old Andrew Yurdy Alice worked as a security guard downtown. He'd been arrested months earlier in Indiana for illegal possession of a firearm, which police had confiscated. The curious thing was the weapon was a 38 revolver, Smith & Wesson, one of millions. Strictly on a hunch, McGrath and his partner retrieved the gun just a week before it was scheduled to be destroyed. They raced it to the Illinois Crime Lab. It was a shot in the dark. But it hit its mark. Tests proved Yurdy Alice's gun had fired the bullets that killed the three women. Were you surprised when it came up a match? I don't think surprise is, is the correct word. But we were astonished. It, it was incredible. What a stroke of luck. On April 22, 1997, the detectives set up surveillance outside the working-class home Yurdy Alice shared with his parents. Nine o'clock in the morning or so, a guy comes out the back door, starts walking down the alley. We approached him. We identified ourselves. He's yeah. nonchalant about this? Absolutely. He's dressed in his guard uniform with his little brown lunch bag, heading to work. And we said we had a, a few questions. He only asked... Uh, when we were done, if we could give him a lift back to the uh, train so he could get to work. So he just thinks that this is just going to be a little hitch in the day. Yeah. Once they got to the precinct, Yurdy Alice was just as helpful, downright chatty, volunteering that he was an ex-Marine, once stationed in California. First, he was asked if he knew Gloria Locke, Cassandra Corm, or Lynn Huber. He was shown pictures of all three of these ladies. He denied knowing these girls. Uh, then he was asked about the gun that he was arrested with. We asked him if he had ever loaned the gun out, and he said no. In fact, Yurdy Alice bragged that he'd always been careful to keep the gun locked up in a tackle box in his basement, and no one else had a key. Now, what are you thinking when you hear this and realize that he's just getting in deeper and deeper? Bingo. Gotcha. Then the police lay the bomb on him, that that gun, to the exclusion of every gun in the world, was the murder weapon that killed these three women in Illinois. He just looked down and loosened his tie, and he said, uh, I guess I won't be going to work today. And I said, well, you got some splaining to do. But Yurdy Alice had a shocker of his own. He said, well, you might want to call California. And I said, okay, uh, why would we want to call California? 
<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Within hours of learning about Yurdialis' confession, Palm Springs Lieutenant John Booth and Orange County investigator Helen Moreno arrived in Chicago. It wasn't until we got there and we were briefed, then the magnitude starts start setting in and you think, wow, you know, this guy is a prolific serial murderer. When you walk into that room, what is going through your mind? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't screw this one up. <laughs> In a cramped room at the precinct, Lieutenant Booth sat down to chat with Andrew Yurdialis, who declined all offers for a lawyer. A tape coordinate, is that okay with you? And his demeanor is what during all this? Very matter of fact. He wasn't scared, he wasn't uh, upset. Yurdialis told investigators he had grown up in a close-knit family with loving parents but he admitted that other relationships never had come easily. He really did not have close friends. He was a loner. After a frustrating stint in the military, he moved back home to Chicago. He took a job as a security guard, even was voted union representative. I mean, is this somebody who's leading a double life? No, no doubt about it, because when he wasn't at work, uh, when he wasn't at home with his family, he was out uh, trying to pick up prostitutes, and God forbid if they did anything to piss him off, they were going to die. I walked her towards the desert. To investigators, Yurdialis matter-of-factly described exactly how they died. Then she turned around. How he tortured and killed eight women. Just now I took the knife out, started stabbing for some reason. It just seemed like we'd opened the faucet and he was draining the tank. The next thing I know, I had to, the plate that was pointed at her and uh, this, it just exploded and went off. He remembered everything, clothing, color. I remember she was wearing like a one-piece, uh, like a jumpsuit all the very specific details about what they were wearing, where he dumped them, all of that was spot on. Exactly. He went down to the shoes and said they weren't leather tennis shoes, they were cloth tennis shoes. Tammy Irwin, that's exactly what they had. Exactly, she had cloth tennis shoes on. My feeling was it's etched in his brain. Now, I'm not an experienced police officer, obviously, but things that you're telling me now would just 
absolutely creeped me out. I was creeped out. Granted, I am eight inches taller than him and 100 pounds heavier than him, and I was creeped out. Robin Brandley's murder at Saddleback College in 1986 was his first, Yerdialis said. He was then a Marine, stationed at Camp Pendleton. And I was just feeling aggravated, pissed off about something. He said it began with some unexplained incident at the base, something that set him off. He got in his car and just started driving. I'm just driving around that area. I know there's signs at Saddleback College. I stopped, I parked my car. Just walking, had my knife with me on the line. When he spotted Robin Brandley walking to the parking lot, he hid behind a car. Started walking towards her, kind of. And she turned around and looked, but did the same thing. But then she saw the knife and she screamed briefly to me put my hands over her mouth. I think I said I wanted her purse. Next thing I know, the knife went to her back. Once, twice, several times, and she fell. Are you convinced that Robin Brandley was just essentially in the wrong place at the wrong time? Convinced, yes. He wanted to hurt somebody that was weaker than him. He wanted to hurt somebody that was vulnerable. But Cook County Prosecutor Jim McKay says there is no answer to that big question of why. You'd have to get inside the evil mind of Andrew Erdialis to figure that one out. There's a great deal of hatred and rage, certainly behind every one of those stab wounds. He didn't even know her. She didn't do anything to him. That rage surfaced again and again over the next few years, McKay says, as Erdialis became a smarter and more methodical killer. He planned a lot of these murders. He prepared himself not only to kill, but to get away with it. So prepared that in the years after he'd left California, he kept equipment for his killings in a storage locker near Palm Springs, his special murder kit. A 45 caliber pistol, ammunition, a machete, masks, uh, license plates from Illinois, shovels, twine, duct tape, all types of items he used uh, if he needed to. He had come back here on a vacation. Orange County uh, Deputy DA Howard Gundy says Erdialis would fly in, rent a car, grab his murder kit, pick up a woman, and kill her in the desert. You think he came back from Illinois specifically to kill somebody here? I think that he came out here, he was on vacation, and he was looking to do what, what he enjoyed doing when he was on vacation. It was a vacationing Erdy Alice who picked up Jennifer as Benson at the bus stop in September 1992. And I looked over, and I pulled on one asked if he needed a ride. And she didn't really hesitate. She got up and she got in the car. As with all the women, Erdy Alice remembered every last detail. She was a uh, very pretty girl, had her hair tied up in the back. Do you remember what she was wearing? Well, later I remember she was wearing a gray sweatshirt. And his story matched Jennifer's exactly. I told her to turn around, I tied her hands behind her back. Okay, then what happened? I told me I had my hands on her neck and I just started squeezing her, choking her with my hands. 
that quick a trunk. And then suddenly before I can get out there, then the hood popped open and she had her hands free at the time. And she ran screaming. He admitted he was furious at her escape. I just got in the car, spun off, and I just let the dust up and just the dust. So that was the last time I saw her. But he will see her again. His only surviving victim will confront him in court. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. The savage attack that nearly took her life continued to haunt Jennifer S. Benson. I didn't know if he was around me. I was very panicked all the time. Then in 1997, five years after her attack, a police officer knocked on her door and asked her to come down to the station. And he said, I'm gonna put 10 pictures on the table and I want you to tell me if anybody looks familiar and my eyes went right to him. I said, he's right there. And he picked up the picture and he said, do you know who this is? And I said, it's the man that attacked me, that tried to kill me. And he said, this is a man that killed eight women and you are the only one that got away. Wow. Three weeks later, Jennifer came face to face with her attacker at a pretrial hearing in Chicago. She was brought there by a syndicated TV show. What was it like the first time you actually saw him again? It was just sickening. After the hearing was out, I tried to get answers from his family. Excuse me, I'm a victim of your son. Can I please talk to you? I'd like to know what made him do this to me. And I was screaming in the streets of Chicago, why, why did he do this? You had no idea? that he was a maniac like this? You had no idea. I'm lucky I'm alive today and you guys won't turn around and just give me one explanation. He ruined my life. Please just say something to me. And then they got across the street and then I saw his sister stop. And then she turned around and she just started hustling back across the street and I got kind of nervous. We don't, we don't even understand this ourselves, okay? That's it, I'm really sorry. That's all I can tell you. That's all I can tell you. I'm sorry. I was 
so relieved when she hugged me. That's all she had to do. It was a sign that, that they cared. Five years later, Andrew Yerdialis finally went on trial for the murders of two of the Illinois women. Jennifer took the stand. What was it like to testify with him sitting there? It was hard. I would look at him. He was never looking at me. And he would uh, have no emotion to anything that I said. In agonizing detail, she told the jury how Yerdialis had sexually assaulted and tortured her. How did the jury react when you testified? They cried. And he smacked me across the face and said, you're lying, bitch. Say it like you mean it. And he's yelling at me, tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. And I just started crying. I wasn't just speaking for me. I was speaking for eight other women that needed justice. It, it wasn't about me. What he did to me was, was minimal. What he did to them and their families is going to be forever. And he needs to pay. The jury agreed and rejected his claim of insanity, sentencing him to death which has not changed California's determination to also try Yerdialis for the five murders he's been charged with there. Orange County Deputy DA Howard Gundy. Why is it necessary for California to even bother with this? What happens is, is, that, uh, is that there are folks here that have lost a child. And that's something that these people have to, um, <clears throat> have to live with. You feel an obligation to them? Yeah, I do. That trial can't happen soon enough for Robin Brandley's family. The pain is never closed, the missing her. None of that, that's never closed. And I wish she was around to see my kids and I wish, you know, I would, she was around to show me her kids that she would have had. But the fact that Yerdy Alice finally is paying for what he did has confirmed Jennifer's faith and given her a new appreciation for the joys of life, one 13-year-old joy in particular. My daughter, Augusta, is my little miracle. She gives me hope. You've talked to your daughter about this? Yeah. Yeah, she knows the whole story. And you know how she escaped? Yeah. What do you think of that? I think that's amazing. Like, when I think about it, it kind of like just brings my faith stronger. And like, I know that I can do anything once I set my mind to it, and I have the confidence that I can. Because you know what she did. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just like, what you think is impossible isn't always impossible. <laughs> Does a day go by now when you don't think about this? No. Really, I just wake up every day wanting to do something remarkable. And if I don't, I go to sleep at night and wake up the next day just wanting to do something remarkable again because you were the one who got away. Yeah. I'm just grateful to be alive.
In 2011, Illinois abolished the death penalty, and Andrew Yurdialis's sentence was commuted to life in prison. In 2018, Yurdialis was convicted in the murders of five California women and sentenced to death. Less than a month later, he died by suicide. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the 48 Hours podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.